0: Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking about infant milestones and occupational therapy. What should you expect from your three, six, nine month, and one year baby in terms of milestones? And if you're not seeing that, how do you help support them? To have this conversation, I have Nicole Eaton. She is a conscious parenting coach, a speaker, a pediatric ocup- occupational therapist specializing in child development, and a certified lactation counselor. Over the past several years, she has built an audience of over 75,000 subscribers on her YouTube channel with over 4 million channel views and it's rapidly growing online business. I had the most wonderful talk with Nicole. In fact, after we finished our podcast, we continue to talk. She is just a delightful person and I wish she didn't live in California because I would want to be her friend. She is just fantastic. So I think um, new parents will appreciate this. Pregnant people to know what's ahead will appreciate this. Nicole just lays everything out and is so open and honest and just just a great person. So enjoy. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you that from now on, all our classes are going to be online. We don't know when we're going to open back up on the Upper West Side, but we have really expanded our program for our online audience, and I absolutely love it. So keep joining us for our yoga classes. We've got the prenatal, the postnatal, the baby, and me. We have prenatal every single day of the week, so no excuse not to get your yoga in. And you get the link for 24 hours. So if you can't make our 10 a.m., class on here on the East coast, sign up and do it when you can later. You'll have that opportunity to continue to practice and be part of our community. And we also have that same thing for our workshops. We've got our childbirth ed, our partner, massage, breastfeeding, you name it. We have got it here for you. I also want to take a moment and thank everyone that's left a rating and review. It helps people find the podcast. If you hadn't had a chance to do that, Please go ahead and do that. Last announcement our fall online teacher training is already full. I'm so excited. We are possibly doing a winter online, but again, we'll also be doing our spring, hopefully in person, if not online again. And I think that's because we can't do our traveling. So I think that's what's going to have to happen. I don't think uh, traveling to the different parts of the country right now would be a good idea. So if you're thinking that you want to explore the PYC methodology, we got you covered. I hope you join us. All right. I'm going to take a super quick break. And when I come back, please enjoy my conversation with Nicole. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Nicole. How are you today? I'm doing so good,
1: Deb. Thank you so much for having here. I
0: having am... here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to talk to you. No, I've had students for a while saying they want to learn about milestones. It makes them very anxious. Mm. And when I stumbled upon your work, I'm like, ah, I found my lady. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I'm honored. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you. So let's start with just telling me a little bit about yourself and what brought you
1: to your work. Yeah. So um now I do intentional parenting coaching for you know new mamas um and I'm also pediatric occupational therapist as we know um, and I got into occupational therapy, strangely, through my mother-in-law, who's in nursing. And um, I was looking for a career change, and she just sort of mentioned OT. And the funny thing about it was, um, you know, admissions is like once a year, and I was coming close to the deadline. And I did a quick Google search, and it was like an intuitive poll. Like, I think this is going to work. So I went all in, um, did the the pre-course work, and and you know, went through the schooling and then just knew, I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is home. So that's how I kind of got into OT. And then I found my way into PEDS. And, um, that's just my joy in my heart. Kids are so much fun. And every kid, is was just so different. And I feel like I learn so much from them, maybe even more so from them than they would learn from me. And so it's just, it's a beautiful opportunity to, um, have this symbiotic relationship where they are unknowingly providing beauty to me while I help advance them in their life skills.
0: That is beautiful. Now I know OT because my son's been having OT for years, but there's a lot of people, it's funny, like before my son had to get OT, I knew what PT was, physical therapy, but I, and I'd heard of OT. I just didn't actually know what occupational therapy was <laughs> until we were Love doing them. it. So can you describe that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So most people actually it's the same. They they and that was me too, did hadn't heard of occupational therapy but definitely knew PT. So occupational therapy is um, it's really centered around helping people become more independent in the occupations that have meaning to them. And so when I say occupations, I mean anything and everything like getting dressed, self-feeding, learning to play or socialize with other kiddos. So we work with everyone across the lifespan. So newborn to the elderly population in various settings, but it's really about, um, enabling people to do the things that they love to do in a more independent and functional way. So how does that relate to babies? Yeah. So with babies, you know, a lot of people think, well, they have no occupations, (laughs) (laughs) but babies, you know, their, their main priority and focus and how they learn is through play. So by helping them and enabling them to engage and play, that is where they're doing most of their learning. And they're building the skills, like the physical skills, the social emotional skills to go on and do the really important occupations of our life, like learning to self-feed, learning to get dressed, learning to use the restroom, learning to um, socialize with others. So it all begins foundationally with play and and that social interaction between parent or caregiver and baby.
0: Yeah, that I find that so interesting. So my son started it when he was, I think maybe four, for um fine motor skills for helping him prepare to write. And I remember they would do things like obstacle courses and it was really, he (laughs) actually, I when they said we're going to do this and the great thing about New York city is they handed out like hotcakes. So we got it there, um, through the board of ed. I thought it was going to be a fight to get him there. Not at all. Like he's like, okay great. Let's do it. Like they, awesome. they made it really fun. And I think that helps kids when they're older, but I guess that's also, um, for today's podcast, really focus on babies. So, cause babies, you're going to pick them up and bring them. They don't get much of a choice. So how can OT, well, I guess maybe even let's start talking about, I was going to say, how can OT help babies reach milestones, but maybe we should just even talk
1: about what are milestones? Yeah, that's a great question. So milestones are kind of like these, these big developmental moments that tend to happen, um, universally for, for babies, um, typically developing babies. And so when you think of milestones, I mean, you know, in an adult, we think of milestones as like, uh, you know, getting married, having a baby, you know, moving across the state. Um, and with our little ones, you know, you, you, Their milestones consist of like holding their head up or, you know, learning to sit up, learning to bring food to their mouth, um, pulling to stand, crawling, eventually walking. So these are like the major developmental milestones, um, in infancy.
0: So then how can, how can OT work help them find that? And also do we, I'm wondering, because I feel like our culture is pretty fast paced, are there variations and expectations? Are people perhaps pushing or have this idea of having to reach milestones earlier than someone should? I guess that's a multi
1: question yeah. question. No, I'll, I'll, so I'll tackle the uh, second part of your question and then you okay. can remind me of the other one just in case I forget. I am almost six months pregnant, so you know, <laughs> a loose. but um, so for the second part of your question, yeah, I, I think that. Well, and it was such a big piece of my motivation to start the YouTube channel because um, there are a lot of parents who just don't know what to expect developmentally. And so when you are just watching and comparing your child's development to your, you know, friend's child's development or a kid you see at the park, um, it can become overwhelming and you might think in your head like, oh, wow, look at that kid. Who's, you know, climbing up the slide backwards and my kids not doing that yet. Where if we don't have the foundational piece of understanding how typical development unfolds, then you know you might be comparing apples and oranges. Some kiddos may be doing things um, way ahead of schedule, and it doesn't mean that your child is not on track. So um, yeah, I I, I love and support parents just kind of having that basic understanding of like, what is typical development? That way I don't get in my head and I don't get overwhelmed trying to push my child when really they're doing just fine. They're, they're doing great.
0: <laughs> are there universal? And then I'll get back to the other question I had, but are there certain universal milestones? Cause we're all human, but at the same yeah. time, I feel like certain places push other things, like some places push reading earlier than others and solid. So are yeah. some more social and more and some just universal because again we all have more or less the same body.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a really great question. So with the developmental milestones, how um how the you know knowledge is broken up is into like the five main categories. And so within that you have fine motor skills, gross motor skills, language, cognitive skills, so like our ability to problem solve, and then we have the social emotional skills. So I think those five categories are the universal categories and within them, you know, um, you have, as you're saying, like the ability to, for babies towards one year, like turn a page in a book, you know? So, and of course reading is going to be later on, but yeah, these are supposed to be universal, typically developing, um, kiddos milestones, you know? for the category per age. So that way, uh, but again, you know, as you mentioned, it's a really great point. Like culturally, um, some people may prioritize a category or a set of developmental skills over others. You know, Um, I know that here in the state of California, uh, there's now a really big push for social emotional skills. Whereas I feel like that was kind of on the back burner before a lot of people had to focus on obviously the gross motor skills like those are the more obvious developmental milestones like is my baby crawling is they able is he able to roll or sit up um, but the social emotional skills are so important such a huge foundational piece in terms of um, thriving in all the other aspects. So um, California is dumping a lot of funding into making sure that little ones are, are, are on track in that specific category. So these things sort of ebb and flow, I think, with time and the course culture as well. But, um, you know, these were the categories set up to sort of cover the universal developmental milestones that that babies will go through.
0: Can you expand on the social-emotional? I find that really fascinating. And I feel like people can focus too much on the academic or the walking as opposed to I completely agree that when the social emotional is more solid, then they're gonna be able to come from a more kind of grounded, balanced place to yeah. tackle some of the other things. Maybe that could just be my own perception.
1: No, I agree. With <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I so what would what does that even mean, the social emotional? And like, how does that show up through baby up through toddlerhood or maybe even beyond?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, and this is actually um this is a A beautiful segue because this is now really connecting to what I do today, um, which is really like the heart of emotional intelligence and and getting parents on board with this. Because again, this wasn't a focus when we were kids. Um, This wasn't something that was like, even in society, like this is a new thing we're coming onto. And so the emotional intelligence is, I mean, I think it has such, and there are studies that that will support this just, um, you know, a huge effect on our ability to be successful in life, whether it is in academics or communications or relationships. So when we talk about social emotional development in an infant, you know, it starts from the very early days. Like you think the, the one of the first really major milestones for social emotional development is, you know, that a smile you would see around three months, like that eye contact with mom and baby or dad and baby, caregiver and baby and the cooing. It's like this, um, the foundation of bonding, right? Having this attachment and, and being able to see other people's, um, emotions and, and replicate them or internalize them. So it's an awareness, awareness of other people around you, awareness of, of their emotions and, and eventually an ability to self-regulate and process our own emotions, which again is just huge in terms of relationship building and, and just, um, resiliency as you go through academics or start a business or become an employee. So it just, it's, it's, very important in
0: my opinion. I feel like the self-regulating, that's something I'll just kind of be very transparent. That's something we work on with my son. He is almost nine. And that's actually one of our things that he had uh, continues to have OT about the self-regulating. I feel like though, that's something that, that a lot of people lack. I mean, maybe this is through my lens, but I do feel like, as you mentioned, you know, many years ago, this was not uh, a milestone that was as not significant, but as, as looked upon quite as much. And it was more like, can they walk Can they talk Can they read? And the social emotional was a little bit cast aside until more recently. Do you feel like that a lot of people need to relearn this in their teenage young adult adult
1: life? A thousand percent. And so that's like where the um, intentional parenting, conscious parenting comes in, right? Because I, you know, one of the big lessons that I had is I started this YouTube channel and I was providing all of these developmental um, activity and milestone information and, and, you know, charts and whatever else for parents. But I realized that that was step two. Step one is really us being emotionally intelligent because, how are we supposed to lead our children to these milestones um, if we are struggling with our own emotional intelligence? I'll just kind of give you an example of it. It's like it's easy for us to become frustrated with our kiddos you know especially as they get a little bit older and, and their personality comes out and they have demands or wants and needs And so if we expect them to learn self-regulation, but we have issues or we have never like really looked at, how well do we self-regulate like what are our coping mechanisms what tools are we using to lead ourselves so that we can model that for our kiddos and it then it makes it a bit more challenging for our child to develop these skills you know in an appropriate way so it's really about us going first as parents like, we lead ourselves so that we can lead our children because we are their model. And, um, yeah, so I I would love to see this and I feel like it is starting to come online and people are starting to say like, Oh, this is, this is huge. This is a game changer. And if we can integrate the sooner we can integrate that and embody that for our kiddos, I think we'll see a huge shift in, in, in our our kiddos, social, emotional development.
0: I I absolutely completely agree. I feel like in this that we've been kind of cooped up at home, my fuse has gotten kind of short -er, Mm -hmm. and I find myself calm, 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 then explode. And I'm like, and now I see my kids starting to do that. I'm like, Oh, Deb, check yourself, check yourself. Cause they really are following what I'm doing, but that requires a lot of somebody recognizing that. Do you feel like the, for the majority of the people that you work with, they recognize the modeling
1: that needs to happen? Yeah, no, I, and I just to be a thousand percent transparent, like I am with you. <laughs> we, it's these times are like one of the most challenging things we've ever come across as, as parents, you know, it's like, um, uh, Kai, my son, who's four, his, we got notified his school's canceled for the rest of the year. I'm six months pregnant. So like the hormonal cocktail and also trying to be aware and intentional, like it's a challenge. Is there a little breakdown? <laughs> Did you yeah, have a momentary <laughs> a little breakdown? I, every day I do, I feel my patients just wearing a bit thinner, a bit thinner. But I think the beautiful thing, and I always liked to like to state this very clearly is it's not about perfection. We will never be perfect. That is not the goal. I I just think the beauty is in awareness. As, as you were saying, we can train ourselves to become more aware because a lot of our reactions are um, unconscious, you know, it's like we're just triggered, you know, and then it comes out. And so the more we work on our conscious awareness, at least we're able to have that like little gap in time where it's like, okay, I feel that I'm triggered. Let me take a breath or do something different. And, and that muscle becomes stronger the more that we are using it. And so, um, you may have to re-ask your question because I think I lost it.
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, that was fine. It was more just like, um, how we as parents, how we can start to notice these things. Because I think sometimes when we're brand new parents, you know, I'm not brand new. I've been around Doing this for a bit, um, but as a brand new parent, your focus is so much on developmental for your kids that yeah. you can kind of forget that you have to flex that muscle as an adult. So yeah. I guess bringing it self awareness can be really hard
1: for, yeah. a lot, for many. It, yes, and and it's like it's a commitment, you know. It's it's, I like to compare it to like the practice of yoga. You know, it's like, there's no destination. It's a lifelong practice. You know, maybe you have ebbs and flows. You, you, you may have uh, periods of time where you're very consistent and then you may fall off and like, that's cool. And this is the same thing. It's, it's like this lifelong commitment to just, um, to doing better. And we, we go through periods where we're great and in practice and other times where we really struggle. And so there are just like, you know, various tools that I like to use to help me, um, just be in touch with my emotions, my feelings. And, and part of that is having like just a very small morning routine. And I, I get that this will, flex, depending on how, (laughs) how old your little one is in the newer days, you probably won't have that luxury. But, um, even if it's three to five minutes, like, um, a quick journal session of like, how, how are you physically feeling? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, like we are just powering through our day and we don't even, we're not aware of how tense we are or, or how anxious we feel, you know, just checking in with what does my body feel like? Um, because these are all things, again, that we we try to then instill in our children. Like, what what is your body feeling like? Or I don't know if you're familiar with the, because um, you said that your son, you were working on mm-hmm. emotional regulation, like uh, the traffic lights, you know, the red, the yellow, and the green light. Like, and that's really about being in touch with your body. So if you're feeling angry, it's the red light, you know, like I need to stop, I need to pause. Um, yellow might be like, I have some anxiousness. I'm not feeling great, but I'm not at my threshold. And Green is like, I'm cool as a cucumber. I'm feeling great. Let's proceed. So honestly, it's like going back to the basics of this, because again, this isn't stuff that most of us were taught in our childhood, you know, so building that foundation.
0: That is wonderful. In fact, I'm going to, I have heard of the, the stoplight. I think I'm going to revisit that. And a lot of this, it's stuff that we can, even if someone doesn't necessarily need OT per se, a lot of it's just great for connecting to one's body and emotions, especially little, 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 little kids. So I did have a question when I was thinking about milestones, I remember again, as a first time parent, I got all the books to all the classes. I remember this one book, it was like black and white with shapes and it was supposed to help. I don't even know what was supposed to help in Odyssey, but it was supposed to be like an educational toy. And I was all about for the first, but the second child was very different. But I, I, I researched all the educational toys and they all had to be wooden and they all had to be, you know, like I kind of went over the top. Do you think <laughs> I'm, such, I'm, I love it. I'm such a cliche? I'm actually embarrassed. And then there are all these classes, like what are your thoughts on, on those type of things?
1: You know what so I I was t- I will say to you because it is I feel like um first time moms, like we do tend to go like over the top with all the things like, give me the high tech product. Give me the best of the best. If you can get it, you know, you, you, and then you go, you have your first child and the second you're like, Oh, I don't really need all these things, but to the things that you're pointing out are actually great. And here's the distinction I will make. So like the black and white, that's the high contrast images, which is wonderful for a newborn in terms of their visual development. Because, um, for those of you who like are like, I don't know how a newborn's visual development, happens, um, their eyes are like very out of focus for the first several months. And they need these stark colors to sort of make out any shapes of like faces or whatever else. So the the black and the white images with red and yellow, those very like... That's exactly um, what I had. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. But you know, it's like, as you said... And I was the same way. It's like, oh, we're going to look at this beautiful one. Whereas like we can make it at home if you want, you know, you can literally color in images. So you can do this like low tech, you can do this high tech. Um, So, you know, it's not like about going out and buying the most expensive thing, but like that's a great developmental tool, you know, and it, it aids in helping your baby eventually learn to track an item, which means like if you were to move it slowly across their field of vision, uh, by three months, we're going to see them start to turn their head and follow the image that you're moving across their visual field. So that's a great thing that you did. (laughs) That's a wonderful thing that you did. But yeah, just to your point, it's like, we, it's easy to go overboard and it's easy to think that we need all of these items. Um, but we can facilitate a lot of, of our baby's development just by being like present and, and bonding and playing with our kiddo because really like the, our kids learn through motivation. And when you have a baby play is motivational. So whatever you have at home, um, you can use as a tool to interact and play with your baby. And that is going to really skyrocket their development, making faces, making eye contact, making sounds, um, placing them on your chest for tummy time. Like these things are huge and they're low tech and they don't cost much. So I feel you. It's so easy to go overboard, but, um, at the end of the day, the things that move the needle the most don't cost anything or much at all.
0: Yeah. Are you listening to that parents? Because babies are expensive. So you don't don't need all, all the education. Yeah. I did all the, they're all wooden educational toys, tons of blocks, colored blocks. Like, yeah.
1: And if you can do it, go for it, but it is not a necessity. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I realized it was slightly a mistake because after that he would be more interested in like the pots and pans. And I'm like, (laughs) We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask about some specific milestones, age three, six, nine months, and a year. Okay. We'll be right back.
2: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Okay. So I know,
0: and the reason I know this is because people have written in and asked <laughs> what are these milestones. I want They said, I want a podcast on these milestones. And I've had people ask me, what are these milestones? Like, I, I don't know. So what are some milestones at three, six, nine months and a year? And then I'm going to add a second part. And I know you're, you're six months pregnant, so there's only so much <laughs> and you have another child. So let's, um, So what can, what happens if someone doesn't meet those milestones? So first what they are, and then what
1: happens if they don't? Okay, perfect. So um, at three months, um, we actually kind of touched on this before the break, three months, you're going to start seeing your little one visually track items. So again, if you're moving like one of those high contrast items or a a toy across their visual field, you're going to start to see that their eyes are going to follow the path of the movement. Um, Three to four months, you're going to see that your little one's able to grasp and hold an item like a rattle in their hand. Um, You might hear cooing and see smiling when you're making eye contact. So that social emotional development is starting to come online um and then you'll see m- much more stability in in the head and the neck so less bobbly and a little more control around 3 months at 6 months some fun things that are happening are you'll notice your little one is starting to bring things to their mouth. And so this may be your cue if you're interested in beginning solids to um, look into you know, self-feeding and, and starting solid foods because your little one's showing an interest and, and they understand like, oh, I have a mouth, I can put things in here. <laughs> Um, and then you, you're getting a lot of babbling, right? So the M's and the B's and the D's. So mm, that sort of thing, um, your little one might also be on all fours. They may or may not be starting to army crawl or, you know, creep. That's okay. There's a range there. Um, but four point play is great. And by six months of age, your little one might also be able to sit up independently for just a few moments at a time. So again, with all of these, there are ranges, so keep that in mind. Um, at nine months of age, what's fun is your little one is starting to pull to stand. So if you have a couch or if you have like a little activity table, they've got enough strength now to use their arms to sort of pull them upright in a standing position. And you might notice that um, you, 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 between six and nine months you'll hear mama or at most likely. And um, pointing of fingers to indicate what he or she wants. So if he has a favorite toy, you might see some pointing indicating like a desire And then, um, around one year, so between nine months and a year, your little one's probably cruising, which means like, not only are they pulling themselves up to stand, but now they can hold on to like the edge of the couch to sort of walk alongside holding on or another piece of furniture. Um, and by a year you're starting to have some words come on. So again, clearly like mom, dad, maybe like, um, food or milk. And then you have some babies that are taking steps again, all of this is a range. Um, so if your kiddo's is not there yet, that, we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, those are some of like the really big milestones that, that come online between newborn and one year.
0: Yeah. I remember my son starting to walk right before a year. And it occurred to me at that moment where he started to walk, I'm like I need to buy shoes for him. Like I <laughs> occur to me for whatever reason that he actually needs shoes. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's a whole new world. But I know, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then my daughter started to walk a little after that and one time I just kinda of pushed her down. I'm like, I don't need you walking right now.
1: <laughs> it didn't stop her, but <laughs> Like and I'll give you actually, so this is definitely more in the PT realm, but I've actually, I had one of my good PT friends come on to talk about this. And so for those of you who do or are approaching um, your little one walking, um, brand new walkers, you kind of want to do a mix of on and off. So it's great for them to be barefoot because of the sensory input, right? We want them feeling different textures. Like if they're outside in the grass or if they're in home and it's carpet or hardwood floor, like it's really important for sensory integration. But then on the other hand, we, we do want to give them some stability in their ankles. So, um, if, if you, You don't always have to keep your kiddos in shoes is really the moral of the story. Like having them be barefoot is fine as well, but you can get like soft sole shoes just to give them a a little bit of ankle support as they move into walking. (laughs) I was like, Oh God,
0: now I have to research shoes. (laughs) I don't know why it didn't even occur to me that he'd need something on his feet. So, (laughs) so let's talk about if someone's not meeting, like, is there a, you know, we know that there's a variation, um, of when these will be met and you kind of, they're kind of around three, around six, around nine months. But is there a point where like, wait a minute, we are now at five months and we're not having a lot of eye contact or we're at a year and there's not much babble.
1: Yes. Okay. So I will give you the, like the more OT, like stark answer here. So just so you guys know. So I'd like to say generally, like you have, um, think of it as I mentioned these milestones at three six nine months and a year and most babies you have like the bell curve right so like maybe sixty seventy percent of babies will hit these milestones at that time or right around that time but then you have some kiddos that are gonna do it sooner like your kiddo who was walking before a year and then you have some kiddos who are gonna do it a little bit later like my first kiddo um Kai he didn't walk till fourteen months so generally I, I say it's about two to three months, give or take. Um, But to give you like the more black and white, like here in California, and it varies by state, but um, as an occupational therapist who works in early intervention, so I see kiddos zero to three years old, we are given the criteria of if your child is 33% delayed in one or more areas of development. So we talked about those five main areas, right? Fine motor, gross motor, social, emotional, language, or cognitive skills. So if it only takes one, 33%. Now you think about your child at three months, 33%, there's very little margin, right? So, um, you know, if your kiddo is only like a a few weeks behind or or it's like literally a month, then your kiddo might qualify for services. Whereas if your child's a year and, and they're showing developmental skills of like a seven month old or an eight month old, then that's like the threshold, right? Cause that's about, um, 33%. So it, it's definitely, if you notice something is off, I just always recommend talking to your pediatrician and saying like, Hey, can we at least, can I have a referral for occupational therapist?" Because it does not hurt for your pediatrician to refer your kiddo to OT to have an evaluation done just to see, because the OT is gonna look at all the areas of development and we have specific tools that are uh, sensitive enough to pick up on any delays and we will do the calculations and see like, is your kiddo on track? Do we need to monitor them? Like, So maybe they don't need services on a regular basis, but maybe we check in on a monthly basis just to make sure that your kiddo is still on track and isn't falling further behind. Or does your kiddo need weekly services so that way we can help them catch up? So, yeah, that's that's sort of the overall picture of what we're looking for in terms of typical development.
0: And then, and this might be too broad of a question, but you said the five areas of development, how do you, so say a kid only has a couple of those, how do you then tr- not treat the right word or work with them to help catch them up?
1: Yeah. So you're, so you're asking if they only have one area in which they're behind. Well, just like,
0: how would you even, maybe I'm not even sure how to ask this. So let me think about this. How to so say if someone came to you, you've evaluated them. What are some things that you can do with a three, six, nine month, one year, two year, like, you know, they're, their, I guess, cognitive skills are, are different than an older child. How do you,
1: how do you work with the baby? I guess. Yeah. What, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. what do you do with those little guys? Um, again, so it's all play and it's all play based. Right. And so for instance, if I am trying to, let's say the younger kiddos, maybe we have a kiddo who is just showing weakness in their muscles. So they're, they may be a little floppy. Um, tummy time is a nightmare. Um, you know, it's, it's just, they need some strengthening, Um, really what an OT would do, we're going to use play to help motivate them. And parents are a huge part in that. Like we like to involve parents as much as possible because that's the bond, but it's at that young of an age, there's a lot of education. So what I would do as an OT for a kiddo that needs to build endurance and strength is, um, talk to parents about different ways to do tummy time, because there may be like this, Preconceived notion that tummy time is done just on a hard, cold surface. I gotta put my baby on the floor and let him scream. Whereas we have options in terms of, like I had mentioned earlier, placing your baby on your chest and sitting at an incline. So, like maybe you're leaning back on the couch and your baby's awake and your, your child is on their ch- on your chest, that's still tummy time. And some parents don't know that. And it's actually helping your kiddo because. It's, it's, um, a more upright position, which means they don't have to work as hard to lift their head as opposed to if they were flat on the floor. So just kind of making these little adjustments and modifications in play that are still going to build the muscles and the endurance, but make it more tolerable that make it more fun for both mom and for baby. So really, again, just a lot of education and a lot of, um, Um, demonstration in terms of modifying play, that's still going to build skills that makes it fun for everyone.
0: Why do so many kids hate tummy time?
1: (laughs) I have a whole course on this. (laughs) Great question though, because I mean, that is, it's so common and literally this topic is the most popular topic on it, but that's where people find me through my YouTube channel is my tummy time video. Um, I kind of like to break it down into a, a few main points. So It can be a sensory issue. It could be a uh, a a muscular limitation. So, you know, that would be getting into like torticollis or plagiocephaly, where there's an actual physical limitation, making it difficult for baby to like move their head in tummy time, or or causing just like uh, imbalance in terms of muscular development. Um, and so, I I mean, I could go down this rabbit hole, but, but essentially as an OT, we're looking at either motor skills or sensory skills. Um, and so sometimes babies just need some movement to calm their sensory systems or, you know, some bouncing to help them feel their body and space before we ask them to do something challenging. You know, they're like, I don't, I can't feel the body. I don't know where I am. And then you're placing me down on the floor and I don't see you because my eyes aren't developed. So all of these compounding pieces go into, you know, how our baby can react Um, in tummy time. So once we understand, that's why understanding development. is. So beneficial for mom and for baby, because when we understand what our kiddos need in, in their specific age range, we're able to, again, adapt and modify the activity to support them. Um, so that is more pleasurable.
0: So that's why those little mirrors might be helpful that they look at themselves, or I used to lay on the ground with him. So he it was also an opportunity to lay on the ground because I was always tired. So I would put... <laughs> Um, I would lay on the ground and he'd be there. I did the same with my daughter again, fatigue. Um, is that, I mean, that was by default that I guess I was helping them or those little mirrors that they can look at and then often grab and try to
1: chew on. Yes. I mean, those are all like, that was your intuition and it's perfect. Right. Because again, our kiddos are most motivated by faces, familiar faces, our smiles. So it's like we we get down on their level. We're with them. They don't feel alone. We're interacting with them. Um, they're so motivated by that social interaction that a lot of times they forget they're doing the work, you know, and a few minutes goes by and it's like, okay, great. We did it. We're done with this session. Um, mirrors exactly the reflection and seeing themselves. It's like this whole new world of, whoa, what is, I what is that? Um, And then again, the high contrast toys, the things that make noise, the things that light up. um, It's it's just appealing to the senses and um, helping them regulate through these challenging activities. And as we do this consistently, we're building the muscle memory, we're building the endurance and they don't realize that they're working out, but they are getting stronger each time. And so it's like this beautiful dance, right? Of like expanding um, sensory integration while also building the muscles and the endurance and the skills and interacting with them. So is there a
0: certain amount of time someone should shoot for a tummy time? Again, I don't want to get too kind of over the top about it. Like you don't have to get your stopwatch out and be like, okay, we did five minutes. We're done. But like, is there a general amount of time that a parent should try to have their baby on their tummy per
1: day? Well, yeah. So it, it definitely depends by age. Um, I say with newborns, like shoot for, um, two to five minutes a session, um, your kiddo may be rocks are and, and go above that. Your kiddo may not want anything to do with the lower end of that to start. But like, I think the important thing is understanding where your kiddo is and then um, continuing to challenge them as you do tummy time sessions. So say your child only tolerates tummy time for a minute And that's where they're at. That is their threshold. That's their baseline. Okay. Well, the next time we do tummy time, can we do tummy time for a minute and 10 seconds or a minute and 20 seconds? And yeah, they may fuss. They may cry a little bit, but again, we're down there with them. We're encouraging them. We're mixing up how we um, present tummy time. And these are huge baby milestones that we should be celebrating right along the way to the bigger milestones. It's like, Oh wow. Like my kiddo made it to a minute and 30 seconds this time. Like celebrate that. That's huge. Even if the goal is to get them to five minutes, right? It takes time, um, again, to build the muscle and the endurance and, and, um, the self-regulation to, to do those challenging activities for longer periods of time. What are
0: some self-regulatory things you start to give to kids as they hit their toddler years? I mean, because we always hear about the terrible twos and like (laughs) there's tantrums that happen. What are some of those self-regulatory offerings we can help our kids with?
1: That's a really great question. So, um, I, you know, for me, when Kai was, you know, in toddler years, I was really focused on, um Sensory processing and sensory integration, because I realized that he had this need to move as a lot of toddlers do, right? They have these like newfound gross motor skills and they <laughs> they need to use them. And so I noticed that s- some behaviors would increase when he was actually seeking um, some sensory, Component. So, for instance, like I noticed, he really loves to crash, and parents will ask these questions: like, my kid crash, loves like run into a wall, yeah, or couch, not a wall, okay. <laughs> you know, jumping on the couch, jumping off the couch, okay. on head, you know, like just all over the place. And parents are like, "What do I do to contain my kid?" Um, well as an OT, we look at that and we go, oh, that kid needs some probe work, as that's like the slang word. And that that just refers to um they are seeking proprioceptive input and proprioception is really like us knowing where our body is in space. Uh, So we have these like I get into the weeds, receptors in our joints that basically tell us where we are in space. And if we aren't getting enough input, we may seek that by going above and beyond, like crashing into things to feel where our body literally is in space. So as an OT, we have tools to help kiddos get that input in a more safe way. So like I was using things like, um, the blow up bounce horses, like the, you know, the, the ride or the roadie donkeys and stuff like that. And I, I promise you, and I have videos on this, so we'll link the YouTube, any parents are looking for this later, but I would see him calm in an instant. And I would use this tool before we were doing something like a fine motor activity or sitting down to have meals together. Because, you know, if your child's up and squirmy and can't sit down at the table for long, then like maybe that's something to look at. Like, do we need to give them? some sensory needs or they have some gross motor needs that, that need to be addressed before we ask them to like sit still and concentrate on something. So that can absolutely help with the emotional regulation, right? Because when their body feels calm, then they feel calm and then they can kind of move into what it is we need them to do. Is
0: that the same idea of the weighted blankets? I've always <laughs> meant, I always, I've wanted to get one for my son forever and I have not, but I've seen it's going to sound like such a commercial. I've seen them on TV, um, but I've not seen them. And, they seem, and I know that when I'm upset, I mm-hmm. like the weight of a heavy blanket on me. Like I can't even sleep. Even the hottest days, I need something more than just like a sheet. So is that because it helps our, It helps us feel our body and helps ground uh, us?
1: Or am I making uh, this up? No, you are not. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. And I actually even have an adult weighted blanket now too. And, and people, I mean, you... People who have used them and you know find them effective will swear by like it calms anxiety. I find I get deeper sleep. Um, so yeah, and I mean, and it goes back to even with the infants, like the swaddling, right? It's mm. the the container and feeling like held in space and being able to again have that sensory input up to the brain of like I know where my body is. I don't feel like I'm falling. Um, I, I have some regulation here, so that's exactly what it is. That's another tool that is used, or like a weighted vest, compression vest. So there's there's a lot of different ways to to get that input um, to help us feel safe in our bodies.
0: That, okay. I'm starting to put dots together. There was a boy in my son's preschool that would often want to wear a weighted backpack. Like it, mm-hmm. it was like his thing. He'd get upset he'd go put his backpack on. So it's mm-hmm. probably some sort of sensory thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the, the weight has for most people, a very calming effect. Um, it's like getting a big bear hug, you yeah. know? it just literally calms our nervous system down. And then we're able to like take that breath and like come back to the moment. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, this I find this so fascinating. I think I missed my calling. I should have been either an OT or PT. This is so <laughs> fascinating to me. All right, before we take a break, is there anything else about milestones that I haven't asked that you're like, Deb, you've got to get this into the podcast?
1: Deb, you asked a
0: lot of great questions. I don't, <laughs> I don't like I missed anything. <laughs> all right, so when we, we're going to take a break. When we come back, if there is one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents, we'll be right back.
3: You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.
0: Okay. So you have years as an OT of a lot of knowledge. You already have a child and you're pregnant with another. So you feel like you have a very clear eye into many parts of new parenthood and expectant parents. What one tip or piece of advice would you like to
1: offer? Yeah. You know what? Um, this, this is something that I thought about recently and, um, again, did a video on. And the one tip I would offer is allow evolution in parenthood. Um, I think it's easy to have this Fixed idea before you have a child of exactly how it's going to go down and what kind of mom you want to be or dad you want to be. Um, I know that it was so easy for me to judge parents before I became a parent, even though I didn't like to think of myself as a judgy person. Um, and you know, maybe when you go into parenthood, you again, it's like you have all of these ideas and and you want to operate in this fixed way, but allow evolution to happen because as we step into our new identities as mom or dad or caregiver, and we, you know, we're evolving and we're changing as people. So so is our child right before our eyes, right? Not only developmentally, but it's like we're seeing their personality emerge and their desires and their wants and their needs. And again, it's it's this dance that we get to do. And so having flexibility and, and being able to say maybe what was a priority for me when my child was an infant isn't a priority now that they're three or four, like we've kind of outgrown this or we've evolved past this. And, um, yeah, because I think it's easy for parents to sometimes feel shame or guilt or feel like a hypocrite, like, you know, I'll give you a quick example, like um, screen time. You know, it's like that. Okay. Was
0: something- <laughs> you say that, I laugh because that is always a fight in my house. So I am so excited to hear your
1: thoughts. So go, go! Tell me about screen time. Screen time, yeah, like that's what, like and especially for me as a professional that like, where it's like, okay, I've got like information and research on this, like I know, and it, you know, in the beginning it was like, nope, not doing it at all, nope, 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 and. You know what? It, <laughs> first of all, it's not for the parents who manage that. I tip my hat to you, but like for a lot of us, it's not realistic to not have any screen time. Um, but then also, you you need to be adaptable and flexible. And here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and <laughs> many of us are trying to work from home and and also be parents. And so it's like, you know what? I'm not going to beat myself up about this. If my child watches a movie right now, well, I either take a moment to collect myself or do something for me, you know? And so, and, and trusting saying like, my child's going to be okay. Like we've got this, you know, um, I'm doing a lot of other amazing things in my kid's life and, and they're going to be a well-rounded, beautiful human. So just, just allowing that flexibility and that evolution to take place and and knowing that you've got this. <laughs>
0: I can't tell you how much I appreciate hearing that. And like, I really, I'm being so authentic. Like, it is the biggest struggle in our house is the conversation about screen time. And I feel feel like you just gave me a little more permission to <laughs> to open that up because I always like, no, we have to read. We can't do this, and it's always a fight. I want to watch. I want to watch. So whether nothing else happens, whether no one else gets something from this podcast, <laughs> I feel that I validated. So Nicole, I cannot thank you enough for that.
1: Of course, you're doing amazing. <laughs> That's questionable.
0: All right. So where can people
1: find your work? Yeah. Okay. So I am, my website is www.nicoleamber.com and I spelled my first name a little differently. So it's N E K O L E and Amber is A M B E R. So there you can find ways, free resources. I have a, a podcast link there and my YouTube channel link is there, as well as courses. Or if you want to do coaching, you'll kind of find everything there. But I'm also on social media. So on Instagram, I'm at Nicole Amber. Nicole, let me check. What am I? I think I'm Nicole.amber. Hmm. Yeah. I think I'm, okay. So it's, at nicole.amber. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me um, Nicole Eaton, last name E-A-T-O-N. And then on YouTube, that's where all of the good, amazing free resources where I collaborate with other child development experts who are awesome. If you type in kids OT help, like occupational therapy, OT help, you will find me and you will find over 150 videos to help guide you through this process. They are
0: great, those videos. I took it, when I was prepping for our conversation, I took a deep dive into those videos. (laughs) And... (laughs) If you notice your numbers going up, it's because, because I was watching them all. Um, (laughs) They're really great. And it's the kind of thing, first of all, thank you for putting free content out there. That's so generous of you. And it's just a great place for people to start. I wish I had something like that as a new parent, because there can be such stress and pressure to be like, oh, my kid has to meet this milestone. What are these milestones? And you really, you just make it so digestible.
1: Thank you, Deb. That means a lot. And and I, I love doing that because, again, it's like, it's one of those things that I wish was around too when I was, a, you know, a new mama and have this community. And so I wanted to put it out there for other parents as well. So,
0: well, thank you for your generosity. And thank you for some time today. I know we're all kind of living the crazy life now. And I appreciate that you carved time out
1: for me and my community. Oh, I appreciate the offer. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
3: You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement.